All right, opening your Bibles tonight to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3. Colossians, chapter number 3. And uh, I appreciate being in the Lord's house tonight. It's a blessing being God's house. I think we take it for granted sometimes. I tell you, there may come a day in this country when it's not so easy to get in the house of God. And we ought to take advantage of it, every opportunity that we get. And I appreciate you coming out and taking advantage of it this evening. And uh, let's all open our hearts and ears to the Word of God. Colossians chapter number 3, and I just want to read four verses tonight and give you a few thoughts very quickly. Uh, Verse number 1 says, "If If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's read verse 2 once more. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this privilege Lord, we just pray that your Holy Ghost would have free reign and liberty tonight in the service. God, that you'd do in us what only you can do. Father, that we glorify and uplift the high and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in the process. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, meet every heart's need in a way that would point directly to your blessed hand. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I have to confess that the book of Colossians is probably one of my favorite books in the Word of God. It's a deeply personal book, but it's a deeply doctrinal book. And you don't always find that to be so through the Word of God. For instance, the book of Romans is a deeply doctrinal book. But I don't believe we're doing Scripture scripture any injustice if we say that it's not a particularly personal book. Uh, Great, wonderful doctrinal truths that are relevant to the life of every believer... Uh, But it does not have the tone of a personal letter. Uh, By the same token, you can go to the book of Philemon, and while you can learn a lot of doctrine from the book of Philemon, it is not what we would call a strictly doctrinal book, but rather it is a very personal letter uh, written by the Holy Ghost through the hand of Paul concerning uh, the relationship between a man named Onesimus and a man named Philemon. And so, as you go through the Word of God, it's not always common to find a book in the Word of God that is uh, both heavily doctrinal and heavily personal. But the book of Colossians is just such a letter. And uh, here in chapter number 3, we've read an ensemble of my favorite verses from the book of Colossians. They present to us the idea of the celestial life. I want to say that again to you. The idea of the celestial life. Life Terrestrial, of course, is the idea of that which is earthly. And celestial is the idea of that which is heavenly. And it presents to us some ideas about our relationship with Christ. And can I say taking full advantage of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, I'll admit, as a ten-year-old boy, I, I don't really... I didn't know at the time, and there's still a lot I don't know, about what happened to me when I got saved. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that... I could not pay for my sins. I knew that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had died in my stead on Calvary and had offered Himself a sacrifice for my sins. And I knew that if I quit trusting in myself, and rather than in myself, if I looked to the Savior in faith 
and depended upon Him and asked for His forgiveness that He would save me. But let me tell you, friend, there's a lot that took place when you and I got born again. There's a lot that was given to us when we were born again. The Bible says that the Lord hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, that's a lot of things. And the book of Colossians, I believe, helps us to utilize uh, some of these things that Christ has given us. The book of Ephesians teaches us uh, that we are seated together with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. And I don't want to spend too much time tonight uh, doing a theology lesson, but I will reiterate an idea that I've shared with you many times, and that is that all the doctrines in the Word of God pertaining the life of the believer in relation to Jesus Christ, have three aspects. Now listen carefully what I'm going to say. Things like justification, things like sanctification, things like redemption and reconciliation. These all have three aspects to them. I used to say there was two, but I believe there's a third aspect to them. The first aspect is that which is positional. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that, preacher? I mean how God sees us. Do you know when you got born again and saved by the grace of God, you became justified? Justification is not just as if I'd never sinned. I know we say that because it sounds good. But when I became justified in Jesus Christ, I gained more than what Adam had in the Garden of Eden. Adam lived in innocence. Adam lived in fellowship. But Adam knew nothing of the grace of God. Adam knew nothing of being sin-fallen, but uh, Savior-redeemed. He knew nothing of the love of God expressed through Calvary. He could not have known that. But the Bible teaches that you and I, we've been born again, and we have been seated with the Lord in heavenly places. That's what justification is. He's taken us beyond just this terrestrial realm and we're seated with. Sanctification, the means through which God is uh, setting us apart and cleansing us for His glory. There is a positional aspect to that. When God sees me, uh, He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews uh, gives us this promise from the Lord, that their sins and their iniquities, God said, will I remember no more. There's no question that God sees me perfect through the person of Jesus Christ. We could go on and on with the various, uh, the various aspects and doctrines concerning the life of the believer. And positionally, they are all complete the moment we're born again, never to be changed or altered. But then there's a second aspect to it, and that is that which is practical. And we know what practical means. Practical means uh, realistic or relevant or in our everyday relation to things, uh, that which we see, that which we experience, that which we know. The Bible teaches that though we positionally are perfected in all these things, that in a practical sense, these things are progressive. God's doing these things in our life. And then I'd say there's a third sense, and that is a perfect sense. There will come a day when that which is positional, us being perfect in Christ, and that which is practical, us progressively growing closer to Christ, will collide into one perfect sense in which we will be completely perfect in Him. And so the book of Colossians presents to us that our practical can grow to be more like our positional through this relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here. How do we access these things? How do we grow closer to Jesus Christ? How do we become more conscious of who we are in Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ 
is to us. I believe we have a few thoughts here, and I just want to give them to you. I'm going to give you four words tonight, not just four words, don't get excited. But uh, four words tonight, and I want you to try to remember them. Let me say that in, in verse number one, we have a prereq- prerequisite that is given to us. Look again what it says. It begins with the word if. That word if denotes a, a conditional sense. Uh, In other words, if it's this or if it's that, it's not a definite thing. It's saying if there is a condition to what's about to be said. And it says, if ye then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Can I say to you tonight, and I know this is very elementary, but I believe we need to be reminded of it and we need to remind others of it, that we can have no relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. If we're ever going to know who God is, we're going to know Him through the Son of God. If we're ever going to know what fellowship with an Almighty God is, we're going to have to know it through the Son of God. And I would say not just the person, uh, but the process is denoted here because it says risen with Christ. Well, of course, we know that word risen is denoting the idea of resurrection. And it's used over and over again in the Word of God in that connotation. And you say, well, now, preacher, what is the significance? That tells me that I have to recognize that I'm dead. I have to die to self. I'm about to die up here right now, amen. I have to die to self. I have to be willing to put the old man to death. I have to be willing to be saved before I can know anything of Jesus Christ. Now, that seems abundantly simple tonight, church. I'm aware of that. But do you know that though it may be settled within the walls of Wall Ridge Baptist Church, I I hope it's settled within the walls of your heart, that that is not a settled ideal in the world today. Uh, I could probably spend some time, I won't, I won't put them on the spot, but I could probably talk to some of our kids that have spent some time in college. And uh, you can find out real quick, you go to a secular college, you'll find out in a heartbeat uh, that the idea of Christ as being the only way, the only truth, and the only life uh, is not a universal principle. It's not universally accepted. And we need to be consciously aware as a church uh, to the fact that not everybody we meet knows Jesus Christ. And everybody that we meet, if they're going to know something of God, they're going to have to know it through Jesus Christ. I mean, I know this is basic, uh, but there's a world that's basically on its way to hell. And we have to grasp this truth. Uh, but let me go a, a step further, and I believe that Paul is, is going a step further, not just in the sense of salvation, but in the sense of surrender. Could I say that until you're surrendered to God, boy, that, I tell you, that, that's, that's something we, we have trouble with, you know, or I do anyways. Surrendered to God. We're never going to know anything about the goodness of God and about the grace of God until we're surrendered. Now you say, well, preacher, I've been saved. Well, God bless you. But you're never going to fellowship with God until you're willing to do it on His terms. You're never going to know anything of God until you're willing to surrender your heart and life to Him and say, Lord, it's not about me, it's not about what I want, what I desire, what I think. God, I'm surrendering myself to You. Whatever You want for my life is what I want. Whatever You need out of me is what I'm going to give You. It's at that point that we can know something of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, Jesus Christ is not in a war against us, but He is in a war against our flesh. And He's not going to take any prisoners. He wants our flesh mortified. 
It's going to have to happen. So we find a prerequisite that's been given here. Uh, Unless we are saved and surrendered, we can't progress any further in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I think there's a lot of believers today. uh, They know a lot about the Word of God. They know a lot about church. They know a lot about being in an atmosphere of worship. But their, their fellowship and personal walk with Christ is as dead as it can get. And it's because of this issue of surrender. I mean, I tell you, friend, we're stubborn creatures. I don't know how aware of it you are, but we are st- in being human beings. You say, well, now, preacher, I'm not. Well, that shows your stubbornness right there. The very fact that we would entertain the notion that we're not stubborn is indicative of the fact that we're stubborn because God says that we are stubborn. By nature, we are stubborn. We're hard-headed. We stiffen our necks to the reproof of God. Every time the flesh wants to buck against what God wants for our life, we're stubborn. And until we get this surrender thing uh, nailed to the wall, we're never going to move any further. As long as it's a tug-of-war between you and God over your life, you're always going to lose out. You have to learn how to step back and give Christ your life if anything's ever going to be done with it. You have to come to a place where you're willing to say, God, I'm tired of making the decisions. Lord, I'm willing to trust you with my heart and with my life. And until that happens, you're always going to make a mess of things. So we find a prerequisite that's given to us. But I want to give you a second thing. We find a precept that's given to us. Look at the end of verse number 2. And when I say a precept, I mean a, a truth or an ideal, or we'd even say a commandment that's given to us. It says, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let me pause there and let me say a word about those things which are above. Uh, now, you might say, well, preacher, it does not tell us what those things are. And you're very correct when you say that. But we have a clue given to us. It says, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, let me ask you something. What is Christ doing at the right hand of God? The Bible teaches that uh, Christ ever liveth and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. First John chapter number 1 speaks of the fellowship that we have with the Father and with the Son through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, being an intercessor that you and I might have fellowship with God the Father. Could I say to you tonight that we have to get to the place where fellowship with God is an important matter to us. We have to get to a place where it means something to us. I fear that because we don't give enough time to our devotional life, uh, we just continue to chip away at the time we do give it. Sometimes you just got to sit and soak. Sometimes you just got to sit and spend some time with God, not be in such a hurry. We live in a busy world, you know it. I mean, we do. We live in a busy world. Every single one of us, for the most part, has a cell phone in our pocket, and we've got people we could call, and they're calling us, and we're calling them. We've got computers sitting at the house. We've got a thousand different things we can be doing. And listen, this preacher's is guilty, probably more guilty than anybody in this room. We get busy. uh, We let our life get hectic. And sometimes we just don't give enough time to God. Now, we may give that specified a lot at time that we knelt at an altar and promised God at some time in the past. Let me tell you something. It's not always going to be the same. You know, even spending time with my parents. Do you know there's sometimes uh, when I go in and sit down and talk to my parents, I might talk to them for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But then there's other times when that's just not sufficient. We can't talk about everything we need to talk about. Maybe I have to spend 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour. But let me tell you something, there's a difference. How many of you, uh, how many of you when you were working a secular job, there's two kinds of people. There was people that work till 5 and people that work till finish. You remember that? 
People that worked till 5 o'clock till the whistle blew, and when it was gone, they was gone, and they didn't care. And then there's those other people that you worked with. They didn't work till 5. They worked till it was finished. Whatever it took. Can I say that your devotional life ought not be a work till 5 thing. It ought to be a work till it's finished thing. Give God as much time as He needs. Uh, the fellowship of the believer with God the Father is what is in light uh, in this passage. That's what's being spoken of. And when we talk about these things which are above, we could name uh, probably scores of them. Uh, things like, like our fellowship, like forgiveness, uh, like worship, like praise, like the things that we do with God the Father through Jesus Christ in our personal time with Him. The Bible says those are the things we're to seek after. I'm reminded in the book of Matthew, uh, I believe it's chapter number 5, uh, when the Sermon on the Mount is being spoken of, and our Lord is giving that address, and He, and he makes this statement, He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things, and He's talking about temporal things, He says, All these things shall be added unto you. It's something that ought to be a priority to us. And the Bible gives us a, an idea of how to do this. Look at verse number 2. It says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, there's two things. I'm going to talk about them here in a moment about this. But I think it's worth noting that we have some say in where our affection is set. You know, that's not a common idea to us. Uh, whenever I, I was growing up, there are certain things that I just didn't like to eat, you know. Uh, how many of you like Brussels sprouts today? Anybody? No, there's always a few. We'll pray for you. Amen. How many of you didn't like them when you was little or still don't like them today? Sure, that's all my normal people out there. But, uh, you know, there's certain things that are what we call an acquired taste. Uh, when I was growing up, I couldn't do nothing about the fact that I didn't like tomatoes. I just didn't like them growing up. Didn't want to have nothing to do with them, couldn't stand them. Uh, now, I mean, I, I, I just about couldn't eat a hamburger without having a tomato on it. It was an acquired taste. But do you know that I had to make my mind up that I was going to try it for me to acquire it? I had to spend some time uh, acquiring that taste. It wasn't easy the first time that I ever tried a tomato. Uh, and you might go along the line. My wife has several things. She can't eat tomatoes. She loves the taste of tomatoes. She can't stand the texture of tomatoes. Anybody like that out there? Same way with mushrooms. She, she doesn't mind the taste of mushrooms. She can't stand the texture. Uh, I, I got her to eat a... Uh, a, a oyster one time. Can you believe that? I don't know how I talked her into doing it, but I talked her into eating an oyster at a Mexican restaurant. An oyster at a Mexican restaurant. That's that's dietary Russian roulette, if I have ever heard it in my entire life. But I managed to talk her into it. Hey, you got to give it a chance. We have some say in where our affections are. You know why we love the things of the world? Because we spend so much time in the world. You know, we might love the things of God more if we'd spend a little bit more time with them. If you don't ever fellowship with God, you're not going to appreciate fellowship with God. We have some say in where we set our affections. And there's two things that are given to us here. This is, number one, we see a positive precept. It tells us where we are to set our affections. It says, set your affection on things above. Heavenly things, the things of God. We are to actively, consciously pursue after a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not something that is just going to foster itself. It's not going to just grow itself. It is a conscious decision saying, Lord, hey, there's going to be times that that prayer clause is not going to be easy. There's going to be times that that Bible reading, it's not going to be easy. But you have to make up your mind that it's a priority to you. You have to set your affection on things above. But then we see a prohibitive precept. It tells us where to set our affections, 
But if we're going to do that, there's a flip side to it. There's some places we shouldn't set our affection, and it says on things on the earth. Now, this could be a lot of things. Personally, I don't believe it's simply talking about things that are sinful either. I believe it's talking about being earthly-minded. Can I say to you, it's all going to burn up one of these days. Every bit of it, everything that you see around you is going to burn up one of these days. Uh, It's no longer going to exist. We spend so much time toiling and working to provide things for us that are so soon going to pass away. And God is trying to get them to live a celestial life and to be heavenly minded. And to do that, you have to be eternally minded. We have to look not on the temporal things. Things which are seen are temporal. Things which are not seen, the Bible says, are eternal. I think one of the greatest injustices in Christianity today and one of the greatest obstacles and one of the greatest hindrances in Bible Christianity today is that we have just become so temporally minded. We think of things in terms of time rather than in terms of eternity. I want you to understand the things that you work for and earn for that are temporal, you're going to have for a short fleeting moment. But do you know you're going to have to live through eternity with what you've done for Jesus Christ? Whether it be much or whether it be little. We have a precept given here. We are to set our affection. We're to consciously do it. Because there's a principle here. Look what it says in verse number 3. For ye are dead. Now what's being denoted here is that our past life is dead and that the things of this life are dead. But look what it says. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Let me say that what's being spoken of here is not a practical mortification, but a positional mortification. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because there's no other way that the Word of God could say unequivocally that we are dead. There are some people that have not died to self. They're still very much living under their own flesh and under their own selves. But if you're a believer, if you've uh, risen with Jesus Christ, then your old life is worthless and dead and set aside, and it's going to mean nothing in the future. But now, where is our life? I kind of think about Galatians chapter 2 and verse 22 when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Well, that, that presents a quandary. <laughs> Paul says, I'm dead, but I'm alive. We, we have a paradox here. How could this be? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we find a dual principle here. Listen carefully. Uh, we're dead, but Christ is living in us. His life is hid in us, but we're also dead, and our life is hid in Him. There's a lot of Christians that are not living the Christian life to the fullest for the simple fact that they won't be celestial-minded. There is no life in and of ourselves. Our ambitions, our desires, and you see it all the time. You find me one Christian living for themselves that is happy. You won't ever find it. Uh, But you'll find something funny. You'll find all through history, believers, blood-washed, born-again believers, uh, that though they may have had nothing to lay their name to, Because they were born again and living for Jesus Christ, they had a joy and a peace which passeth all understanding, a joy that no man could take from them. There's a lot of depressed and sad Christians around because they're not living for Jesus Christ. That's not to say everybody that struggles with depression and discouragement, that that's the reason, but there's a lot of people struggling with it, and that is the reason. They become too temporally minded. We see a mortification that we're dead, 
But we see a manifestation. How do we access this life? Well, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll find no greater thrill than fellowship with Jesus Christ. You'll find no greater thrill. I fear that part of the reason we're losing young people in droves is because they're not seeing an older generation. When I say an older generation, I consider, uh, I guess this is how it is, you know, when you're young, you consider your age and up older. Then when you get old, you consider your age and under younger. Amen. But, uh, you know, I consider myself to be a generation that young people, when I speak of young people, I speak of, of their age and of their age. I speak of of, of children and of kids and of, of young adults. They're they're looking to our generation, and they're looking for something real, what are they finding? Are they finding a dead Christianity? Are they finding a Christianity that is in lip service and formality only? One of my heart's desires, and and I I don't mean to be so personal in sharing this with you, and and I hope it doesn't seem uh, empty or vain when I say this because it's not meant this way. One of my greatest desires for my son is that he'd learn to worship by seeing his daddy worship. I, I want that for his life, and I want it for my life. I want him to see that God is real because of the way that his mama and daddy live, so that when he comes to an age where he must make a decision, he will at least know, if no one else knows God, he'll at least know that his mama and daddy do, that God is real because they have seen God in the life of his parents. That's my heart's desire. I can't say I always live that way. I wish I could say that I always live that way. By the grace of God, I want to live that way. That's our heart's desire. They ought to see the life of Jesus Christ through us. We ought to experience the life of Jesus Christ through our relationship with Him. And now, you might say, well, preacher, this is all abstract. Break it down simply for me. I'm talking about through prayer. I'm talking about through Bible reading. I'm talking about when I say prayer, I don't mean just a five-minute prayer. I don't just mean a Lord... uh, now I lay me down to sleep, or uh, Lord, thank you for this food. I'm talking about being in conversation with the Almighty God, serving God, seeing Him answer prayers in your life, praising Him and glorifying Him for what He's doing in your life. An active relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way that a Christian will ever live life to the fullest. That's the only way. That's how this life is manifested to us and in us is through that relationship. It's a very simple relationship. I won't say it's always a very easy relationship, but it's a very simple relationship of spending time talking to God, letting God hear us through our prayers and letting us hear God through His Word and walking with Him. We see a mortification spoken of. We're dead. But we see a manifestation. Our life is hid with Christ in God. I want to give you one final thought. We see a prerequisite in the first part of verse 1. We see a preset at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2. We see a principle given in verse number 3. I like verse number 4 because we see a promise given to us. Look what it says. When Christ, who is our life... Boy, let me tell you something. I, and, and again, positionally that's true of every believer. But would to God that that was practically true... Of all of you and of me and of every member of Walridge Baptist Church and of, of every member of every Bible-believing church and, and of every believer that we could know that Christ, who is our life, nothing that everything else pales in comparison to the opinion of Christ in our life. Everything else comes to naught compared to the ambition that we have for Jesus Christ. Would to God that we could say, Christ, who is our life, look what it says, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
There's two promises given here, and the first is of Christ's return. He will appear. He is coming back. I want to give you a, a, a aspect of this that I don't think is talked about much. We talk often about being changed from this pain and, and sorrowful body, and, and that'll be a wonderful thing. We talk about being out of the trials and the discouragements of this life, and it's going to be a blessed thing. We talk about the beauty of never having to say goodbye to a loved one that knows Christ ever again, and that's a beautiful thing. But can I say, what a thrill, what a joy it will be to lay our eyes on the one whom having not seen, ye love. What a thrill, what a joy, the very one that we've been conversing with through all of this pilgrim sojourn, to lay our eyes upon the Son of God and to speak with Him, to see the full realization of all that we've toiled for and all that we've labored for, all that we've done in our life as a world has stood by and mocked and laughed and accused us of being delusional and accused us of being foolish, to see the Son of God, the one for which we've labored our life and the one who loves us. What a blessed thought. We rarely give much thought to it. We, like many people, are guilty of loving the gift more than the giver. And we, like many people, are guilty of looking far more to the resurrection than to the return. I tell you, it's going to be, it's going to be a day. <laughs> it's going to be a day. I like what old Fanny Crosby, blind songwriter, wrote over 800 gospel songs. And her personal testimony, when my life work has ended and I cross the swelling tide, she spoke of all the wondrous things that she would be able to behold. She was blind, had been for many years. Ever since she was a small child, she had been blind. And she said, I shall see him. She said, there's a lot of wonderful things. And she, in, the, in the song, she recounts all these beautiful things, the, uh, the beautiful angels, the loved ones, the heavenly home, and all these things. But she said, I long to see my Savior, first of all. I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hand. She wouldn't know him by his face. None of us will know him by his face. But we'll know him as the one bearing the only scars which heaven's gates have ever allowed, the scars which opened heaven's gates, and the one that has died for your sins and mine. And as we look upon him, that's going to be a blessed day. Heaven's only heaven because of who's there. Heaven's only heaven because the Son of God is there. And we have a promise of Christ's return. Then we have a second thought, and I'm done. We have a promise of the Christian's resurrection. While I believe His return is the chief thing, I still think it is a blessing to say that we also shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Do you know that nothing you do for Christ is for naught? Nothing. And all of the things that you're doing for Jesus Christ, there will come a day when the realization of those things will be made known. And listen, tonight, maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking to someone tonight that's discouraged. You wouldn't be the first. Or maybe I'm talking to someone tonight on this dreary Sunday evening when it's dark and cold and rainy outside. And I'm sure if you're like a lot of people that the devil snuck up beside you as you're sitting in your easy chair and said, why don't you just let it go tonight? And just sit in and sit at home like many have done. But instead you chose to make your way 
through the rain and the cold, to sit at God's house and hear the preaching of the Word of God. Can I say to you that that's not all for naught? There's coming a day when that will be made known. And it may not be uh, in this life made known to anyone outside of the walls of this room and maybe a few select others that you know. But there'll come a day when you'll appear with Him in glory. There'll come a day when the sickness and pain won't be anymore. There'll come a day when we'll have real rest from our labors. I want to encourage you not to keep on serving God. Because this celestial life that's being spoken of is the greatest life you could ever know. And if you're discouraged tonight because your relationship with Christ has been in the dumps and you've not been walking with Him like you should, can I encourage you tonight to make tonight the night that you, at an altar, seek those things which are above and make your relationship with Jesus Christ a priority once again.